Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Doff Differently. My name is Ethan Linden. I am still in New Orleans, Louisiana, and it is still beautiful here. I hope it's beautiful where you are. Today our Doff is Yoma Lamed Chet, Yoma 38. And you know, when you do Doff Yomi, when you spend, uh, as I have now, over a year each day studying a little Talmud, I'll be honest and say that there are days when the page does not exactly jump out at you. Maybe there are days when, let's say, you've been tasked with creating a podcast for Daily Daf differently, and one of the Dapim, one of the pages that you're working on, it's just not popping out at you. And then there are days when you come to a page and you think to yourself, man, I need... 10 or 15 podcasts to cover the amazing stuff on this page, the beautiful stuff on this page, the outrageous stuff on this page, and all Dapim are wonderful, of course. All the pages of the Talmud are glorious, but perhaps some are a little more glorious than others, at least when it comes to stuff that's easy to sink our teeth into, and certainly Yoma 38, Yoma Lamed Chet is one of those pages. It is an amazing of Gemara, and I'd like to focus today on this kind of tug of war between the sages and the people who worked in the temple who knew how to do the stuff that the temple needed to have done in order to operate. So the Mishnah says that uh, there are things that are, are mentioned to the shame of the houses that they're about to reference. And the Mishnah on the page goes on and says, all of these different houses, like Beit Garmu, would not teach about the expertise that they had. So Beit Garmu, this house of Garmu, they knew how to make the showbread that, that you have to put uh, in front of uh, of the altar. And the other house, they knew how to make the incense. And the other house, uh, the other the, there's a guy who, who knew how to sing the song correctly, right? And all of these different temple functionaries who had expertise in their field, and in fact seem to be the only people who have expertise in their field, refused to teach anything about how they did what they did. And so the rabbis, in true strike breaking fashion went out and got themselves some scabs right they went out and got themselves some non-union workers they sent to alexandria and egypt because they heard that there were specialists there who could do the same sort of thing but it worked out that in fact they could not they could do part of the job that these temple specialists could do they could get the bread into the oven but they couldn't figure out how to get the bread out and make it work They could make the incense and it would smell right, but the smoke didn't quite burn correctly. And now the rabbis all of a sudden realize they are stuck. They don't have anybody to do this job. So they pay the guys more. 
They pay these specialists more. That's what the Talmud says. Each time they first try to go out and get some cheap labor that will do the job, they realize that they can't, and they end up paying the person more. And then a very interesting thing happens, because that, at that point in, the, in, in each of the stories, it seems clear why the Mishnah would say that this is Ganai, right? This is, this is really not very nice. This is sort of disgraceful that we have to mention this because it seems as though what these folks are doing is holding out for more money, right? As long as they're the only people in the world that can make the bread or the only people in the world that can sing the song correctly, well, then it's fairly clear that they're going to need to get paid whatever they want. And that seems to be at the first what the issue is really about. But then something very interesting happens. In each of these cases, the sages say, you know, we didn't really ask, but why is it that you're refusing to teach anybody else how to do this? Right? We assumed that it's because you want to make money, so we're paying you extra, but could, could you tell us actually why it is that you're refusing? And the answer is, we knew. We have a tradition in our house that the temple would eventually be destroyed and that a certain amount of chaos would then ensue and that if, if the wrong people knew how to do these tasks, how to make this bread, how to sing this song, how to prepare this incense, then those people could use those skills to worship foreign gods for, for idolatrous purposes. As long as the temple stands, we have some control over when and how these things are used. But once the temple's destroyed, and we know it will be, we need to know that only the most righteous people will know how to do these very specialized tasks, lest anybody claim after the destruction of the temple that they know how to make the bread and burn the incense and do all of the things in the temple because the concern there, of course, from a rabbinic perspective in some ways, is not just idolatry, but that somebody will actually claim to be able to recreate the temple cult to recreate the sacrificial system, which the rabbis, though they clearly want to remember that system and want to maintain its memory, do not want to see it reestablished outside of the temple in Jerusalem. And so we have this really interesting moment where the rabbinic assumption, the assumption of the sages, is that what these temple functionaries want is more money. But what the functionaries themselves want is to be certain that the skills that they have will never be used for anything other than its proper purpose. Which seems actually quite amazing and actually rather praiseworthy. Which in some ways could be where it stops, but then we get a story about Rabbi Ishmael who says that he comes walking one day and he comes upon a descendant of one of these houses and he basically says to that person, you know, you were trying to increase your own glory and reduce the glory of God and now here it is, the glory of God is where it belongs and your glory is reduced because you're not working in the temple anymore. Which makes it seem like, yeah, you made a mistake. You should have taught this to more people. You, you shouldn't have been so miserly with your knowledge with your knowledge. And then you get a heartbreaking story about uh, about Rabbi Ishmael, another Rabbi Ishmael, who, which Rabbi Akiva relates, that he's in the fields with one of these, again, one of these descendants of, of the houses, and he, he comes upon this person, and the person is, is laughing and crying. And he's crying because he remembers how great it was when his ancestors would serve 
in the temple. And he's laughing because he knows that the temple's going to come back. And in some sense, that story is so powerful, and it's, it's a nice coda uh, to all of these kind of push and pull about whether we should teach or not teach the different things that we do in the temple, the different specialties that we have. The rabbis, in some ways, both want and don't want the temple. They don't want a temple to exist in a bastardized form. They don't want a thousand little temples blossoming across the Jewish world where everybody thinks they know the right way to do things. And yet the temple is an extraordinarily important institution, both historically and in the rabbinic system. The, one of the ways in which the rabbis assert their continuity with tradition is in their memories and the precision with which they express those memories of the temple and its functions. And so when you come to a question of who knew how to do things and whether those people should teach those things, it's actually a rather confused question. In some ways, the rabbis want it both ways. They want to know how to do those things, but they want to make sure that the knowledge for the creation of these different temple implements, the bread and the incense, they want to make sure that that knowledge is closely guarded. And in the end, what we get is that whereas the sages seem to think the issue is money, the actual functionaries themselves think that the issue is much, much deeper than that and much more important than that. It's not just about protecting their own position. It's about protecting the glory of God. It's about protecting the correct ritual for the worship of God. And certainly the sages can appreciate and respect that. Thank you very much and have a great day. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.